Welcome to the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences Residency Preparation Course Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Clemens. My doctorate is in education. I'm the Assistant Dean for Medical Education and a faculty member in the Department of Medical Humanities and Bioethics. Our guests today are James Graham, MD, Alan Diekman, PhD, and Nick Gowan, MD. Our discussion today centers on teaching and specifically on the topic of evidence-based education in the classroom or in didactic sessions with a focus on several relevant readings. Schmidt and Mamid, How Cognitive Psychology Changed the Face of Medical Education Research, and Gooding et al., 12 Tips for Applying the Science of Learning to Health Professions Education. Starting with the question of relevance, From your perspective, why is evidence-based education in the classroom important for medical students who will soon be transitioning to residency? James? Uh, Hello, I'm uh, uh, James Graham. And the the idea that um, you'll soon become a a teacher is one that uh, Uh, I think all clinical students uh, realize, they realize the importance of uh, the the interns and residents uh, that that they're, that they uh, deal with. And and even even classroom-based teaching, although there's a lot of bedside teaching uh, that goes on uh, as well, but residents are often called on to, uh, to give formal lectures or informal discussions about uh, patients uh, on the wards. So truly when you become a resident, you will, you will absolutely be in a situation where you will be teaching uh, uh, those coming along behind you. As an upper level resident, you'll be teaching your interns. Uh, as an intern, you'll be teaching your students and so forth. The other thing that that strikes me is that some of these principles also actually directly apply to patient care as well, because uh, you know physicians are also the, the care of patients and dealing with patients. You're also trying to educate your patients, and so some of these concepts actually. Um, translate really pretty well into the doctor-patient relationship, as well as the resident-medical-student relationship. Thank you. Alan? Hi, this is Alan Diekman. Um, I'm talking from the perspective of a medical educator, mostly as an educator of medical students. Uh, And depending on where you're going uh, to do your residency, uh, some residency programs are are not associated with a medical school per se. Uh, Others will be housed in a traditional medical school and uh, part of your teaching duties will involve working with medical students. A lot of that will be at the bedside, so you'll have bedside teaching going on, but you also might be expected to participate in didactic education or leading active Uh, learning sessions and being aware of the uh, 
modalities that you're going to be working with is going to be very important uh, as, wedge, as well as the educational theory behind what you're trying to do. Uh, another thing to you've been through medical school yourself, so you understand uh, what it's like, but it is a very different perspective uh, from the other side. Uh, and one of the items that struck me uh, from the papers was a discussion of the emotional state of the learners that you're working with. And you're going to have to recognize that working with a first year medical student in their first semester and their emotional state is very different from a second semester, second year student. And then a fourth year medical student, they are very different places uh, in their career, uh, the way you interact with them, uh, the way they interact with you, the way they approach you is going to be very different. Uh, and you're going to have to keep that in mind uh, while you are working with them. Thank you. Nick? Yeah, hi, I'm Nick Gowan. I'm um, speaking from the perspective as a hospitalist who teaches residents and medical students on the wards primarily. And a thing that struck me about the utility of uh, both of these papers is thinking about the medical student and resident as both teacher and learner. Uh, the, all of these principles that are useful for the teacher are also equally as useful for your own continuing education when you're trying to learn things. Um, these concepts that in general, the thing that is harder is better. The, the more difficult types of studying are better than the easier types. Those are useful to know as a teacher. They're also useful to know when we're trying to learn things. And I think one of the stark transitions or, or things that happens um, when one becomes an intern is that, yeah, you've got to pass your boards at some point in the faraway future, but for the most part, you're kind of done with tests. And it's mostly now about studying to be good at your job and to um, know what you're doing. And so uh, I think that all of these principles are really important to avoid wasting your time, you know, wasting time with these low value things like rereading and highlighting and the things that are just uh, less valuable. And uh, think of this concept that memory is the residue of thought and that the more that the things you're doing help you think through the problems and the harder they are, uh, the better. Um, and of course, everything uh, that uh, the other two have said about um, the things as a teacher are in, entirely, I agree with 100%. And I'd also say I was surprised, um, even as a resident, even as an intern, how much I was teaching not just uh, students and uh, the patients, but also just other people in the hospital. Um, you just sometimes you have to teach the nurses something or you have to teach some other group something um, to get people on board with doing something the right way. And um, using these effective strategies makes you better at all of that. So I think these things are um, as important as just about anything else that someone could learn who, who uh, strives to be a great resident. Thank you. You've all touched a bit on the readings, but I'd like to delve into that a little bit more. From the readings, what stood out to you as important takeaways for medical students who will soon be transitioning to residency? Well, I can go ahead. Um, I, I, it's not really dealt with in the paper, but in terms of being resident and, it, and kind of an underlying theme in these papers is you get to a point 
where it's the learner's responsibility uh, to take on their own education. That, and that's gonna be very much the case uh, in a residency program. When you start medical school, uh, you're, you're told to do this, do this and do this. And, but when, when you're in a residency program, a bit more of it's gonna be on you. Uh, there's a section uh, in one of the papers about uh, metacognition. And you're gonna to need to do uh, some of that uh, in terms of designing your own uh, educational plan. And, and part of that is uh, one of the concepts called inter, uh, interleaving, uh, which I always hear the word interweaving when I hear that I think that would be another appropriate term. Uh, and that is uh, mixing and matching of different topics. Uh, and I ran into a former trainee of mine uh, at a urology conference this weekend who is now a fellow uh, in urology. He's completed his residency. And he said one of his best, one of the best things that happened to him during his urology residency program at UAMS is because it's more of a community-based program. He got to see a wider variety of patients. And if you're in a residency program where that is not necessarily community-based, some of that patient population is going to be more focused. So if you're going to want to see a wider variety of patients, it's going to be up to you uh, to seek out those patients uh, to be able to see them uh, and learn from that experience of those uh, cases, those diseases, et cetera, that you might not necessarily be being exposed to uh, during that residency program. There was something in particular um, that I would say I, I found the um, tip seven says help learners create the learning oriented goals. I want to highlight something that really spoke to me and reminded me of myself was it says health professional students are often per performance goal oriented, having had to achieve a certain level of performance in order to obtain admission to competitive programs. And I think that, um, and that's talking about those uh, performance goals as being the less useful type of goals where one takes feedback almost as like an attack or as not being good enough or as a failure. Uh, and this is incredibly important. And now having personally remediated lots of residents, um, I know that folks who are able to have that growth mindset or what they call the learning oriented goals, where you think of feedback as an opportunity for growth, not and, and trying to take every aspect of both your own personal goals and your education process as being opportunities for growth, opportunities to try to learn more, trying to actually, you know, take feedback and learn from it. Um, like, by the way, I have to do right now, I just finished a lecture and got um, feedback in the, in the end of the quiz. And so there's going to be a bunch of stuff on here that I'm sure I'm not going to enjoy reading, but I have to take it and uh, learn from it and improve. And uh, I, I just think this is something that people hear a lot, but not all of us do well. Uh, so I, I thought that was a particularly good one. One thing that stood out uh, to me is the idea of cognitive overload, uh, and it's in, and it's in and it's in both papers, right? This idea that uh, you know, if if there's too much of a cognitive load, it impairs retention of the uh, of the information. And, you know, in some ways, that, that sort of defines all of medical education, right? There, there is, there's too much to learn. Uh, and, but, but I think it's really important that, that the teacher have that realization. And, and 
And it's easy to lose sight, I think, of um, as you as you gain expertise and you gain knowledge, and it's it's easy to lose sight of of what a, a novice medical learner can can know and grasp and understand. Uh, and so it really is important to to keep that in mind. To, to make sure that you don't, at least at one time, overload the, the learner uh, because the learning just won't be as effective. And, and the, the other, I, I think perhaps a great example of that in a clinical context, that's, is, uh, you know, the, the, pa the patient who the physician has to give bad news to gets cognitively overloaded the doctor has told me I have cancer and then they don't hear anything else, right? I mean, you, we, we've seen that over and over again and it's this idea of cognitive overload and, and yet we forget about it in sort of routine teaching situations. And so um, I think that, that really, I think is an important message for us as um, teachers uh, of medical students at, at whatever level. Yeah, I thought about that too. And I agree wholeheartedly. And also, I think it's something I, that we all have to work on. I know I have to work on is not wasting that. You know, the the whatever the amount of cognitive that they can have before cognitive overload. It's easy to waste it by like not making your expectations clear, or having them be stressed out about where to meet, or you know what exactly the thing they're supposed to be doing. We we have to work to avoid wasting that cognitive energy and have it in the spot where it, where it needs to be. And it's just so easy to, to waste it. And I think particularly as a novice educator, as a, as a new resident, uh, it's important to be, be mindful of the learners in that way. One, one other thing I might chime in on is uh, the idea of retrieval practice, uh, which is a, a proven uh, technique to promote long-term retention of knowledge. And, and, you know, in, in clinical teaching, retrieval practice has been used a long time. People call it the Socratic method, you know, where you're teaching by asking questions. Uh, and, and, but it, but it's been proven to be effective. But, uh, but I think it's also important that you set the right stage that that you set the environment uh, right uh, because I, you know we've all I, 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 we I, I've heard I remember the times where it's like well you know doctor so and so this intern or this resident or this attending is he he or she really likes to pimp the students you know well uh, and it I mean so it kind of depends on on how you ask the question and, but, but use questioning. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it not only promotes learning, but it also helps you know whether the student understands what you're trying to get across. So retrieval practice, I think is, is a very useful and helpful technique. My only caution is that you use care it's it's the metacognition that we've already talked about it's 
it's the thinking about the the learning and doing it in a in a um, uh, supportive manner. Yeah, and that really connects back to growth mindset, also that um, that was part of our earlier discussion. If I can go back to cognitive overload for just one moment, uh, that's something I totally agree with as a danger. And it's very much on the educator's shoulder to identifying where the sweet spot is in terms of how much is too much. And the opposite danger, which is just as real a danger, is how little is too little uh, because you want your students to be well prepared. Uh, so it, it's really on the educators' shoulders to educate themselves in terms of what the students need to know uh, and at what stage of their career uh, they need to be learning it. Uh, there's something else I, I got, took out of the article. There was a brief discussion uh, about the use of technology. They referred to it mostly as artificial intelligence, but it, it, was, it was phrased somewhat as cautionary uh, that... Um, the use of artificial intelligence in, 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 and technology uh, in teaching, in your own education, and then in your clinical practice, it sounds like a wonderful thing, but it can lead to biases, uh, and it's something you want to be careful of. There is, there, there is something to be said about the human-to-human -human connection uh, in education, so you, you can't just say, here, go read these online modules and you'll be fine. You do need to have uh, some interaction directly with your students. Very in-depth discussion of the, the many components of the, the craft of evidence-based education in practice. From your own personal perspective, could you tell us about your own experience with evidence-based education? It might be from the perspective of a teaching moment. It might be from the perspective of a learning moment as a lifelong learner. I can uh, tell some recent examples. I, um, in learning myself more about evidence-based education in the last uh, few years, I redesigned some of the things that I do for the junior and senior students um, while they're on internal medicine. And I found these, I thought it was gonna be a lot of work to add retrieval practice, to add, you know, add more retrieval practice, add more of these uh, things to create active learning. And it, it really wasn't, it was actually pretty easy to do. I did find that the thing that um, will, I think teachers will often see and some of the things even warn you about it, that people sometimes don't like being quizzed. They sometimes would prefer to just sit there and have you talk at them. Uh, and I found that, and I could tell they maybe at first they didn't enjoy it quite as much, but it was easy to put these things together. It was easy to add a post quiz um, to every talk that I give. Now, every talk that I ever do has a post quiz at the end. And that was, it was not hard. It just add it and make sure and have a little bit of time for it. I also, um, you know, found it easy. And you think in grand rounds where there's 200 people and the format is such that usually no one asks questions of the audience, you think that you can't, but then if you just do it, they do it. Um, and if you use some of these um, kind of more classroom-based techniques like think-pair-share or um, an audience response system or whatever, I like think-pair-share the best or a thing that 
Um, my wife taught me from the thumbs, having thumbs up and thumbs down for answers, which is also good because it avoids the problem of not raising their hands for any of the answer choices. Um, but I really enjoy all of those. And I just thought there were all these things where I thought, like, well, I don't know if it'll work in this setting. And then I tried it and it worked perfectly. And I, I'll, if I can say also as a learner, the thing as a learner that frustrates me is the more that I learn about this, the more that I see how much of the educational stuff that I attend where no one is either aware or bothering to use any of these principles and their talks are a lot worse for it. So um, even if no one else does, I'll, I'll tell you in the audience, I'll be judging you. Yeah, I, I chime in a couple of uh, sort of lessons learned for me, I think. One is the importance of um, what some people have called just-in-time teaching, what others have talked about, the, the, the adult learner. And, and, and that is this idea that um, adult learners, more than younger learners, um, learn much better when they see the need to, to know this, right? And so, you know, being attentive to that as a resident for your students, you know, late Friday afternoon after the team's been, been busy all week is probably not the best time to review part of the physical exam or whatever. You can think of probably a lot of examples where, uh, you know, it's 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 the right education, but it's the wrong timing, um, and and it just doesn't work nearly as well in that case. On the other hand, you know, if a student is about to, you're about to, you know, go and do a surgical procedure that the student hasn't hasn't ever seen, and they're interested and they want to be involved, that you know, before you go in there, that's a good time to talk about here's what to expect, here's how this is going to go, here's how you, you know, the laparoscopic appendectomy happens, et cetera, et cetera. So being aware of this idea of um, adult learners learn better if they understand the relevance of what you're trying to get across. Uh, and there are lots of examples of that in clinical education, if we're just mindful of. I agree with that. I also think in terms of uh, that the selection of the educational method itself is very important. Uh, and uh, James and I can remember when we introduced team-based learning uh, to the curriculum and biochemistry, as Dr. Graham has indicated in the past, is not always every student's favorite topic. Uh, and when we were in a primarily lecture-based curriculum, the comment I heard all the time was biochemistry is not clinically relevant. Well, when we switched to including team-based learning, within a period of a year of, of just introducing TBL, we started getting the, con the comments that, wow, biochemistry is really clinically relevant. We did not change the topics that we were teaching. What we did was we changed the way we were teaching it. And by including the appropriate clinical cases, et cetera, 
uh, we were demonstrating to students, yes, why they really did need to know this uh, in terms of what the background, their foundational knowledge uh, was going to be for their future careers. So it, it, that's another thing to keep in mind is what's going to be the best way of teaching that material and for the students to learn that material. Yeah, that, that's so important. And I think it's kind of similar to the thing I'm saying that there's so many things. I'm sure when y'all did that, there were people that said, we can't go to TBL. You'll never cover all the material and they won't learn it as well. And the students will hate it and this and this. And probably some of the students did complain about it. And that's what's always going to happen. And it, there's so there's this inertia of just doing things the way we've always done them or just giving a lecture because that's the easiest. It's the easiest for the audience and it's the easiest for the teacher. But it's also often the worst. And I just think that's such a great point that we need to be thinking about what we're teaching, but we really need to think about how, how we're teaching it and using these things that once you get it going too, it's fun. They're, you know, it's better for everybody once you get it going. One of the comments that we had from the faculty when we introduced TBL was that, well, the students are going to fall behind because they're not going to put in the work, uh, et cetera. We in our course found it was the exact opposite because it forced the students to stay up with the material because they were having one or two quizzes a week. And if you know they had to pass those quizzes. What advice would you give to medical students who will soon be residents on the topic of evidence-based education? Some of the some of our students may have never thought of the fact that they will be educating in lots of different settings, lots of lots of different stakeholders. Well, I I think that many many interns and residents, you know, I think come to the realization that that um, wow, I learned a lot from my interns and residents. And, and, and I, I mean, I, I remember uh, uh, even, even so long ago the, that, you know, I kind of wanted to pay it forward, you know, that uh, the, the residents and interns who taught me when I was a student, now it's my turn uh, to, to, to pass it on. And so I think, I think that kind of a mindset is 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 really important, just to to really take seriously uh, that that role with your medical student learners, and as uh, we've said here, and in the other uh, situations in which you will definitely find yourself uh, helping to teach uh, to teach others in your team. So, I think um, being thoughtful and intentional uh, about it. Um, and, and, then, and then metacognition to be thinking about how you're going to do it um, will make your efforts more effective. I could say uh, my number one advice would be um, start teaching right away and do it early and often. Don't wait until you feel like you're ready. Don't wait until you know enough to teach because you know enough the, the moment that you get there. Um, do it early and often. Do it for selfish reasons because it'll make you smarter as you learn more as you teach and do it for all the reasons that Dr. Graham said. Um, and, uh, and take the time to bother using these techniques because it's amazing. It'll, it'll make your teaching more effective and you'll learn more. So um, there's, 
these are great things, do it. That's my advice is do what these papers say early and often. I tell a lot of students that the best way to learn something is to teach it. So I think that is very good advice. Uh, the other thing I'll say is I guarantee there's two things you will you will not stop that you will not stop doing when you leave medical school. Number one is you will not stop being a learner. And number two, you will not stop being an educator. You are going to be a learner and an educator, hopefully for your entire degree, uh, the career. Okay, so, so you, you need to continue being a learner uh, to keep up with what's going on in medicine. Uh, you need to be an educator for two reasons. One is you need to educate yourself. That's part of being a learner. Uh, the other thing is, even if you go into private practice, even if you set up your own shingle and are in a practice all by yourself, you are still an educator. You're going to be educating your patients. And also, you're going to be educating your staff. Uh, you're going to have nurses with working with you, other healthcare professionals. And as the physician in the practice, they're going to be looking to you as the authority on certain subjects. So you're gonna to have to know how to educate them uh, in regards to certain aspects of medical care. Thank you to our guests today for this multifaceted discussion. And also thank you to our listeners. We hope you'll be able to join us for another episode of UAMS's Residency Preparation Course podcast. Take care.